Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hello, hello. Welcome along to another episode of Talking CFD, the podcast that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. So, you know those little warnings that they have on chocolate bars, the like where it says, may contain nuts, as a heads up for those of us who might have a reaction to them. Well, today's show comes with a similar warning. It might well contain nuts, but that's, that's beside the point. This warning is for those listeners likely to have a strong reaction to the words apification and democratisation. These words may appear liberally throughout the show. Um, today's guest has been in the CFD industry since way before either of those words were a thing. Today I'm talking with Robin Bornhoff of the Mechanical Analysis Division of Mentor Graphics, big company, about their view of those words and how they relate to their CFD offerings. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you, Robin. Pleased to be here. I've been waiting for the Robin Robin thing. (laughs) Now, I introduced you as from uh, the Mechanical Analysis Division of Mentor Graphics, which is true, but you and at least two of the CFD products we're going to chat about have their roots in a previous company, um, Flowmerics. Could you give us a bit of a potted history of CFD at Mentor Graphics and how you got here and and what it has to do with Flowmerics? Sure. So Flowmerics, as an organisation, was started in 1988 by uh, David Tatchell and Harvey Roston. Both David and Harvey at the time worked for Brian Spaulding at CHAM uh, in Wimbledon in the UK, which I think I'm right in saying is the first commercial CFD company. In fact, David Tatchell was one of Spaulding's students back at Imperial College in the 60s and 70s, the cradle or birthplace of, of, of modern 3D CFD as, still going, as indeed. we know it. Yeah, and, and is still going. Yeah, indeed. So David and Harvey... Uh, left Cham in 1988, uh, started Flowmerics um, with a view to uh, providing CFD technology to a much wider range of of, of engineers. Um, soon after the uh, formation of Flowmerics, it was identified that um, the best way in which we could get the value of CFD into the hands of, of more engineers was by focusing on uh, vertical applications. Actually, uh, the first application that was identified was was HVAC, but shortly after that was um, electronics thermal simulation. Uh, so the HVAC industry we served by a product called FlowVent, and then the electronics thermal uh, management community we served by a product called um, FlowTherm. And FlowTherm was the one that really got traction and saw Flomerics grow quite quite ra- rapidly um, in the uh, in the early nineties. Going into the 2000s, Flamex had grown. It was a listed company. Uh, in 2005, we acquired um, a spin-off from um, the uh, uh, Budapest University, um, a company called Micred that provided um, electronics thermal characterization uh, measurement systems to sort of augment our thermal simulation capability. Uh, but a year afterwards, we acquired an organization called Nika, um, a organization that at the time was selling a product called EFD, which was a CAD embedded um, CFD CFD code. Um, a couple of years after that, in 2008, uh, we were acquired by the American organization called uh, Mentor Graphics, one of the three big players in the EDA world, the electronic design automation world. And that's uh, pretty much takes us to where we are at the moment, eight years later. Yeah. 
So your core offerings are uh, Flowtherm is still there, is that right? Yeah, so Flowtherm very much our first success and continues to be our uh, most successful product. So that's now one of the four uh, product or product lines that we offer within Mentor Graphics. We have the MicRed um, thermal test characterization hardware, um, which we still provide as well, working very closely with, with Flowtherm. Uh, the Nika acquisition at the time it was called EFD, now it's called Flow EFD, and that's very much our um, upfront or um, yeah, CAD in, uh, embedded CFD offering. And then subsequent uh, to the acquisition of uh, Flumerics by Mentor Graphics, about three years ago, we bought uh, a company called Flowmaster that provides uh, 1D CFD system simulation capability that we see very much um, uh, good uh, potential potential to augment that offering with various ways in which it might work with our 3D CFD capabilities as well. So I'll probably circle back to uh, to Flow EFD. Thinking about Flowtherm, talking about that a little bit more, you you guys doubled down on electronics cooling. Were you, were you around at the time that, that that kind of decision was made? No, so I joined Flomerics in uh, 1995, about seven years after its formation, fresh out of, of, of university. By that time, um, Flotherm was established as the main product offering um, from Flomerics. Um, and very much it was a learning curve as to apply the CFD theory I'd learned at university, coupled with the application, which was electronics thermal management. I've spoken to a number of people on these these interviews now, and there seems to be a, a theme about um, selecting a niche. The, having that niche focus seems kind of essential, and you you guys have have, have got that. Um, do you call it a niche focus or a vertical market or what? what? Um, well, I, I, going back a bit, I think it's important that any organisation needs to have a singular strategy, yeah, by which they want to prosecute um, their evolution um, and hopefully be successful as a consequence. Now, the strategy we took was to provide good science to engineers. We did that or decided to do that uh, by focusing on a specific um, vertical application. Now, in the context of, of so-called general purpose CFD, it is very vertical. Uh, but within that uh, uh, vertical market segment, there is actually a, a quite wide range of applications um, to which um, electronic thermal simulation could be applied, all the way through some silicon design, through IC packaging, PCB design, enclosures, all the way up to uh, up up to data centers this is the whole realm of electronic thermal management and we've evolved our products to be able to match all of these uh, all of these scales and that's kind of as the market's developed or just as your capabilities have developed no so we've tried to um, evolve our technology to match the requirements of the market and the changing needs of the market I mean back in 1988. Um, we were selling um, quite what was considered quite an exotic simulation capability to mechanical engineers whose uh, were well, thermal uh, mechanical engineers or thermal design engineers whose main focus was um, uh, uh, build and test. Yeah, so making physical prototypes, uh, specifically those organisations who were responsible for uh, creating product that they would sell to the market. Essentially, a hot PCB in a box. Yeah, and they wanted to sell that on, and they wanted to ensure that it didn't get too hot because if it gets too hot, there's 
whole load of reliability issues that occur and also functional performance issues as well. So the, the engineers at that time were literally creating cardboard um, uh, prototypes of the box in which the PCB or a test PCB was to be placed. And they were testing as to whether you need one fan, two fans, where to put the... Um, the holes in the enclosure. So we provided a software alternative to that physical prototyping and pitched it very much as a virtual prototyping um, uh, alternative uh, that you could do that much earlier in the design process um, and that much more effectively as well. So at the time, we were really converting mechanical engineers with very little simulation experience um, into engineers that could utilize this extra tool in their, uh, in, in their toolbox. And were you guys doing that by taking kind of a an underlying engine, if you like, that could have done anything, but sort of by having a focused uh, UI or user interface or something like that that um, took them down a particular path, or, or did Flowtherm only do the, the the features that these guys would need? Yeah, actually, that's a really good question. So, um, I mean, CFD is a technology. Uh, in theory, it could be applied to what well, any application. You just need a geometric description. You need to mesh discretize it. You need to um, put, obviously put your boundary conditions, etc., in solve it, and then and then post process it. Um, but um, the approach we took was to be able to um, enable. Um, these uh, mechanical engineers who are just doing physical um, build and test, we had to provide them with a simulation capability that required very little prerequisite um, experience or knowledge about the numerics of CFD um, so that the, we could provide them with the software that they could use yeah, based on the experience they, they had already, which was very much the application experience they needed to have as, as an engineer. Therefore, sort of endemic in the whole attitude we've had with regards to the uh, development of our, our, our products is focusing on creating uh, automated robust CFD technology, especially in terms of um, geometry preparation, uh, mesh generation, um, uh, solvers that will, as far as possible, create an assured solution. These were all prerequisites as far as we were concerned um, in enabling us to provide value to these um, physically prototyping mechanical engineers. So the description that you just gave sounds a lot like the kind of descriptions that's used now for when people refer to a CFD app. Um, is that fair? Yeah, so app, appification, it's a fascinating term. Um, it's uh, uh, even the abbreviation, I think, is uh, indicative of the sort of monosyllabic approach of the uh, of the, the target users of such <laughs> apps today, which would be teenagers downloading apps to, to, to their phones. Um I think there are certain similarities between what we were trying to achieve and what we still uh, uh, purport to achieve um, with regards to providing uh, technology that a wide range of people can use. Um, apps are very simple. They're very focused. Um, they do specific things. In fact, they do so little that you do not have to have much training to be able to apply them. Yeah. So the value in terms of the usability is derived from the fact that they don't do everything um that that i think is uh, there's a lot of similarities there but there are concerns about the use of the word um apps or uh, app appification it does tend to hint at a 
devaluing of um, the uh, technology that is provided um, sort of implicit in the use of the word app is it's cheap, um, it's disposable, it's transitory. Um, I think those aspects um, are not related to what we're trying to achieve. But the fact that if you provide something that purports to do just one thing and does it very, very well, um, that is very attractive. And with that attitude, you will be able to provide your technology to a much wider range of people. And I think that's where the concept of appification and what we're providing uh, in the mechanical analysis division does, does tend to overlap. So do you think we need a better term? Is the, like you mentioned, the sort of calling something an app sort of does imply, subtly imply that it's kind of low cost or um, feature incomplete perhaps or, or something like that? Yeah, actually, low cost. I mean, it's it's totally commoditized. Yeah, it's um it's something that is indistinguishable from competition based on features, and is only selected on price. Now, maybe ultimately, if vendors are successful in terms of providing their CFD technology to their marketplace, they will be considered as an app. They will um, demonstrate such uh, such capabilities. But today, no, that is not true. Um, there is uh, much more that is being done and can be done to provide high value in terms of these tools that re that result directly on a considerable increase in return on investment. And in terms of pricing, um, the price of such tools will always be based on what they can return in terms of cost saving during the product development process. So I don't see a full commoditization in the near future that will push CFD tools down to the order of sort of 10 or $100. I, I, I really don't see that. It's too, uh, it, it's changing too much at the moment. New value uh, and capabilities are being identified too fast for the uh, for, for the CFD industry to fall down into that sort of commoditized app approach. I mean, you mentioned the future there. What do you think the direction of travel is for these sort of things? Then, do you think we're heading towards kind of more? app-like interfaces from from the big guns um so i think the i think i came across one the other day that was a sort of mixing app for uh, for star um or is it more likely to be kind of smaller teams purpose-built true cfd niche focused vertical market focused apps yeah it, it's, it's a, again another good question robin the um the to, for an app to be successful, um, it shouldn't require any expertise in terms of its usage. So the technology and what in, in, on what it's based on um, should be incredibly robust um, and incredibly stable, and not require any prerequisite experience to be able to go down under the hood and start it and start to make various changes, etc. Now, um, the sort of technology that satisfies those requirements, it's very difficult to retrofit that behaviour into existing CFD tools that have been created um, with a prerequisite requirement on people having to have good knowledge of numerical methods, etc., to be able to use them. So we believe that coming from a background for the last of 20, 25 years of creating technology that is inherently robust, it's designed to be robust and not require a lot of tweaking fr fr from the user side, um, that, is, that is in itself a prerequisite for being successful in the sort of spreading of CFD um, through the industry itself. And it's something that I think will be difficult for other 
general purpose players to be able to realize just by putting fancy application specific GUIs as wrappers around their technology, that might be too little too late. The core technology has to be incredibly robust and dependable. Um, and then you have the opportunity of building out from that. Now, I don't know whether that is the case with a lot of the big guns, as you call it, in the market today. Kind of brings me back around to the other of my warning words, democratization. You mentioned that um, part of your um, driving force, if you like, was to provide good science to engineers. And I guess that's where the, the EFD concept comes from. Yeah, indeed. Well, it's... Um, what is it's, EFD? Well, okay. Well, actually, if I can just back up for, for, for one moment. Funnily enough, it was one of the phrases that was on the original Flumerics business case um, that we wanted to provide um, good science to engineers. Actually, another phrase on the business case um, that Flumerics put forward to their venture capitalists was, um, all models are wrong, but some are useful. But that, uh-huh. that, that that's another story. So um, even um, at Flumerics Foundation, we wanted to uh, create a technology that we could provide um, this science to a range of engineers. So the acquisition of Nika um, was uh, an obvious extension of, of, of that strategy because Nika very much had the same attitude, um, not so much in the sort of vertical application domain, but realized in a different method. And their approach was to be able to provide the value of CFD to a wider range of engineers um, then by embedding yourself in the mechanical CAD design environment, yeah, you would be swept along by the adoption, yeah, of of three D mechanical CAD riding on the coattails of this inexorable um, e- evolution of the mechanical CAD CAD world, and that has proved very successful actually as a mechanism to provide, albeit a general purpose CFD technology, but one that's being created again with the attitude of uh, focusing on robustness and stability and repeatability, all the prerequisites necessary to provide the technology to engineers who may have no background at all in CFD or CFD numerics. Uh, we're talking about Flow EFD. It's a, it's an embedded tool within a, a user's CAD package. Is that right? Yes, it is. So Flow EFD is a range of products. I suppose you could consider them add-ons or even apps okay. associated with uh, major MCAD tools. Um you uh, the intention was was that the uh, the user would be a mechanical design engineer they'd be working in their CAD environment if they wanted to investigate uh, thermofluid behavior they would be able to do so as easily as possible without having to um, sort of launch out from their environment go to a foreign environment whatever that might be however easy it might be to transfer data into a sort of a foreign environment to do the analysis no very much we wanted to give them the ability within their graphical display area, within the CAD tool, working on their native CAD geometry to be able to explore the thermofluid behavior um, and make changes on the native geometry and investigate how that might affect their design evolution. So that was very much our, our attitude um, with Flow EFD. So it's a it's a different form of, well, could you call it appification or is it more democratization? Um, I think one of the conclusions or one of the successes um, of appification as and when it occurs is a natural democratization. If you get more people using your tools, um, then you've democratize the use of of the capability that can either be done through niche application 
approach or, as I said, by riding on the coattails of the mass uh, megatrend adoption of 3D CAD in, in the design process. So would a user even know they're using Flow EFD? Is this, is this white labelled to um, MCAD packages or uh, do, do they have to do something separate to get it? Uh, no, well, they, uh, they, buy, they would buy an add-on uh, to their CAD tool, be it um, be it Creo or Katia, okay. etc., um, and it would be another tab um, in their graphical display area. They would go to that tab, um, and at that point, they would then make the necessary uh, material assignments, boundary condition definitions, uh, meshing, solving, and post-processing, but all from within the single the single CAD tool. So, um, yeah, it's it's a very productive way of working. Now, a lot of um, organizations talk about uh, productivity and the real value of simulation is the productivity and the return on investment that, 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 that it can provide you. Now, I, I looked up the definition of productivity, actually, because so many people were talking about it, um, but there wasn't sort of a quantification of it. I found a definition that it was um, output divided by effort. So what it can do divided by how easy it is to do it. Um, and at the end of the day, productivity is that which will lead to a return on investment. Our focus very much has been on decreasing the denominator, making it as easy to use as possible for a given set of functional capabilities. And one of the ways in which that can be done, and I would argue one of the primary ways in which that can be done, is to reduce the effort involved in budding off to this other simulation environment with all of the data transfer, geometry transfer, geometry preparation, healing, etc., that is involved in such alternative workflows. By embedding CFD uh, within the CAD environment, you drastically reduce the amount of time and effort required to repair, convert geometry, mesh and solve, etc. Does it reduce it to a UI problem almost? Yeah, that's, again, another another good question. I mean, to be able to do that, no. I, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, uh, geometry integrity and meshing, which I think today are perceived as the two main bottlenecks in the whole sort of CFD workflow. Um, in terms of uh, geometry in integrity preparation uh, non-water type geometries determination of fluid volumes uh, to mesh the, the fluid inside the, the solid CAD geometry etc by putting that stage within the originating CAD tool you really do bypass all of the issues associated with uh, uh, converting the CAD topology into formats such as IGIS or STEP etc all the tolerance issues that that, that that go with that by doing it within the CAD tool you can be better assured that the CAD geometry is of a good quality to then go on and mesh it now in terms of meshing um, I think that's the that's the big one. Um, uh, it's almost an art form, which is a shame actually, because it is just one step to go from wanting to do a CFD solution to seeing the value of of post processing. It's just one of those prerequisite steps, but it's such a problem. So a lot of our focus has been on a meshing system that can tolerantly handle a whole range of CAD geometries. Um, based on a sort of boundary last approach, a Cartesian format with octree subdivision with a very special treatment of solid fluid interfaces to make sure we don't lose any of the uh, finesse in terms of the 
geometry curvature uh, boundary layer type type representation so that that's really been a been our focus so these sound like almost CAD specific developments as opposed to, I mean, obviously with a, um, a use outside and to, to the wider CFD audience, but is there sort of the possibility that the development will splinter into embedded CFD and, uh, and more traditional CFD? Potentially, yes. I mean, um, well, in terms of when uh, fluid simulation might be needed within the design process, um, I think we, we, we believe that it will always be needed through the product development process just as a check. So I've made a design change. Is it still going to conform to my thermo or fluid um, design constraints that I have set? Now, in terms of answering that question, um, we're providing technology to people to ask that question as frequently as possible and as soon as possible in, in the design process. If all's well, then fine. It's, it's, not, it's not a problem. As soon as a, a problem is identified, so a design variant has led to a configuration that doesn't comply with the thermo or fluids um, constraints, then at that point the question is, well, who is best placed to resolve this problem? Yeah. Now, at that stage, it's not so much a CFD competence. It is a uh, fluids engineering or thermo engineering competence that's required to be able to determine how that problem might be solved. Now, that person might be the design engineer working in the mechanical CAD environment, or it might be a specialised sort of uh, CFD or fluids engineering competence centre within a large organisation. Now, under those circumstances, sure, maybe the design is literally chucked over the wall to those people who are well-placed to being able to fix the problem. So in terms of democratisation, I think it's more of a democratisation or partitioning of design roles and design competences Um, if you're designing something you should check constantly that it's going to work and if it doesn't work at that stage there's an opportunity to bringing on board the real experts to be able to debug it and and resolve the problem now these these sort of competence center experts um, maybe at that stage uh, they might use other tools they're more familiar with although we would still like to believe that the same technology that enabled the design engineer to create a, uh, an answer very fast that technology is um, still very valuable to these competence center expert um, expert users as well what would you say to uh, those in the cfd community who might suggest that cfd is best left to cfd professionals that, I've heard that a number of times, actually. That's that's fascinating. I've always made the analogy between the evolution of the CFD industry and the automotive industry as well. Um, so back a 100 years ago, if you'd told Henry Ford that the only people who should drive cars are those people capable of either building or maintaining those cars, um, we'd all be going to work um, on a horse and carriage today. Um, I, I, I don't believe that's a sustainable attitude to have, that the only people that could use CFD technology are the so-called CFD experts. I think it's an obligation um, of all CFD vendors to ensure that their CFD technology is used by as wide a range of people um, and there isn't such prerequisites that limit its use to ivory tower sort of installations in, in, in major organisations. I don't see that at all, Robin. I mean, the, the appification, democratisation debate rolls on, possibly just for something to talk about for the industry. But uh, what, what, what do you think it'll take to kind of move this on? What's the current roadblock that's stopping us moving past where we are at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, um, 
again going back to the analogy that the CFD industry can be related to the to, to the automotive industry. I mean, in many ways, the CFD industry is um, is extremely young. Um, it requires, despite the best efforts of all vendors, it does require a lot of experience, uh, both in numerics, physics, engineering, etc., to be able to get the most value out of those tools. Now, we're very proud in extensions we make in terms of CAD embedding or vertical application focus, etc., etc., but we're still a long way off from where we need to be. For example, um, whenever you start a simulation software, you always have a question in your mind, what it is you want that software to answer for you. I hope so. A lot of, yes, indeed, as opposed to using it for the sake of it. Uh, a lot of that effort is involved in translating that, that question um, into a whole series of button clicks using your experience and bounded by the capabilities of the tool uh, and then on into post-processing and then tease out the answers Yeah, to, to translate uh, your original question into sort of usage machine code to get your answer. Um, that's a very laborious approach. You've just described my working week. <laughs> exactly, which is, I think, indicative as to where we are in terms of the state of the CA industry. But the CA industry, it will continue to evolve. We're very young at the moment. We have, we will have a glorious future. Again, going back to the automotive analogy, um, we're getting to the generation now which will be driving uh, or not driving you know, autonomous cars, where you'll literally get in it, you'll ask where it is you want to go, yeah, and all of the other mechanics of getting there will be automated for you. Now, if you map that on to the equivalent for a, CF, a CAE usage, yeah, um, there's massive opportunity to be able to intercept the question that's being asked of the software and to, as far as possible, automate the entire process necessary to go back and answer that question. That, I think, is the holy grail of the CA industry. We're not going to get there in 10 years. Um, we're probably not going to get there in 50 years, but it should be the obligation of each vendor to strive towards that 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 holy grail as to where we want to be. Oh, see, I was really excited about having this discussion from the beach, sipping a Mai Tai. Um, <laughs> but then you said 50 years, and I got a little bit, a little bit depressing. But I'm looking forward to my self-driving CFD. That sounds excellent. Excellent. Thank um, you. Fascinating stuff, Robin. I want to thank you for coming on. If people uh, liking the sound of what they hear about flow efd flow therm things like that what's the best place for them to go and find out a little bit more well the obvious point of call is the mentor graphics website uh, mentor.com um, if you click on mechanical analysis you'll see the whole range of products that we offer there's a whole bunch of collateral that you can look both in terms of uh, technology and application as well um, we've focused more recently um, on term in terms of white papers and also webinars as well so check those out um, and if you like what you hear um, contact your local um, mechanical analysis representative which again is easy to identify from the website itself and if somebody was wanting to maybe to reach out to you, LinkedIn perhaps or something like that? Uh, so, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I've been uh, blogging for the last uh, seven or eight years as well. So if you just uh, Google or any other search engines are available, Robin Bornoff blog, you can see my commentary on various aspects of the CAE industry um, or LinkedIn or Twitter as well. Well, thanks for your commentary today, Robin. I really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure, Robin. Thank you very much for this opportunity. If you're still listening, then you are exactly the kind of person who should join the conversation in our Facebook group. 
head over to talkingcfd.com forward slash FB to join up with other listeners and past guests chatting about the kind of things we cover on the show and helping each other grow their own CFD businesses. That's talkingcfd.com forward slash FB to join the group. See you there.